welcome to the Destination Begin podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Smith. I've lost over 250 pounds. I've started my life over multiple times and managed to find humor, lessons, and joy in the process. And now I'm here sharing those stories with you. Thanks for joining me. Hi, hi. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I'm just going to be honest here. I've been putting off recording this all day. I've been procrastinating. Um, It's one of those days where it all started off out of routine, out of the normal flow, and I have not been able to get the flow back. And I don't know if you've had a day like that, but it's so, for me, it's so discombobulating. And I'm the first person to tell people to shirk their routine and shake it up sometimes, but I do not function well outside of routine. And it's something that I have to work on. And I'm, I'm clearly getting a lesson today in do the things anyway, even though it's at 6 p.m. instead of 1 p.m. And you haven't lifted yet and you haven't done any of the things on your list that you were supposed to have done by noon. It's going to be okay. All the things always get done. So it is my brother's birthday. And if there's one thing that I knew that I was going to talk about today, it was my brother. Because um, story time with Kristen, I've done a lot of different episodes and I've talked about my sister and my mom. And I haven't talked a lot about my brother, but it's his birthday today and he is 51. So he's a lot older than me, clearly, because I'm just a young spring chicken. But my brother, Alan, he is, um, he's a junior, my same exact name as my dad. I didn't know growing up that everybody, everybody wasn't named after their dad. Like I thought all boys had their dad's name and then they just had a nickname because my brother's nickname was Junior. And so if I met a kid named Mike, I just assumed that was his nickname and his name was really his dad's name because I didn't know. That's all I knew is that my dad and my brother have the same name, but we call him Junior. So, you know, I was dumb. But um, my brother and I, um, my brother was very quiet growing up. Um, I didn't, I don't feel like I really knew my brother very much until we were adults. Um, we were raised very sheltered. And while I've talked about my experience with that as, you know, the youngest and being a girl and having an older sister, um, my sister and I were 22 months apart, are 22 months apart. And then our brother is older. He's five years older than my sister and seven years older than me. So it was like my brother and then the girls. And my brother was born at the very beginning of my parents joining cult church. And so as their doctrine and religion and lifestyle rules all were kind of ruled out and implemented, he really had the most um, experience with all of that because cult church started out pretty hardcore, got harder core, got more restrictive, more and more crazy. And then it's sort of, they sort of laid off on certain things. Like they saw that some things weren't working long-term Um, Some things were damaging to relationships and to family and some things were causing people to leave. But my brother got to benefit from the whole big trajectory of the whole big mess. And when I say benefit, I mean the opposite of benefit. He suffered um, a lot more than my sister or I did. Um, The main thing that that I recall, and I can't tell his story, obviously, I'm not him. My experience with my brother was from where I sit, which is the little sister. Um... But it was always characterized. My brother had a lot of energy, so, and he, he didn't have any outlets. We were completely isolated. He had no friends, and we, had, we were not allowed to participate in anything. And so he couldn't play in community sports. 
um, didn't go to a real school, so no opportunity for school sports. Um, and he was really had a lot of energy and also very talented with sports. If he had been allowed to participate, he would have been professional in something. Just an absolute natural athlete in everything he touched. Also a natural musician. He taught himself how to play um, basically every instrument, starting with the trumpet and then the drums, the bass guitar, the electric guitar, every guitar. I don't even know how many there are. But my childhood, like I just always remember hearing music come up through the floor because his room was in the basement and he would be playing music all the time. If he wasn't at work um, or in school, he was playing music. So the floor was always vibrating with the bass guitar and he taught himself how to do it and just an absolute talent. And if he'd had an outlet for that, if he'd had a chance to have lessons or be in, you know, bands or orchestra, the sky is the limit. He's just the most talented, most smart person I've ever known. And it's just really sad that he didn't get to do um, what normal kids that are talented would have been able to do. He would have he would have dominated anything he did. Um, that is and I'm not just saying that because he's my brother and I love him. It's true. And anybody who knows him agrees. Um, but so since I was the youngest and I was bored and lonely and my sister was always reading a book, as soon as I could participate, my brother would pay me to um, play ball in the backyard with him. So he used to get up in the middle of the night and go with my dad to clean office buildings. My dad was a janitor. So they would go clean office buildings at night and then also clean restaurants. So they'd clean you know, these office buildings downtown Minneapolis and then they would go and clean the kitchen and the restaurant areas at the 50s Grill and Applebee's. Um, and the longest one was the Chi-Chi's restaurant, a Mexican restaurant. So my brother would go along and then he would, when he would empty the trash cans, he would find things in the trash that he knew I would want for my pretend business. I played business. That was how I entertained myself. Some, play, come, some kids play with Barbies. I played business. I had a, a broken adding machine that my dad had gotten out of the garbage at an office he cleaned. And then I had um, blank check stock that had been voided that had been pulled out of the garbage at an office. So my brother would find these things. These were like gold to me um, because I love to play office. I have my little typewriter and all these things and I'd pretend play business, which is, you know, how I knew I wanted to be an accountant when I grew up. So he would say, all right, I found these um, stacks of, of blank forms at this dental office. Some dental office had thrown out forms, you know, like the ones with the little um, strip on the side you pop off and there's carbon paper in between each one and you have three or four, you know, triplicate um, copies. And those were amazing because I could fill out all kinds of fictitious information for my pretend businesses. So he would say, all right, I'll give you a hundred of these if you throw a hundred pitches. So we'd go in the backyard and I would pitch to him and he taught me how to pitch. He had taught me how to wind up. He taught me how to get it over the plate. He taught me. I was a pretty good athlete too when I was little because he taught me. And then I would pitch to him in the backyard and he would hit the ball up over my head across all of the houses into the next block. And then I would have to go retrieve the ball. But hey, I was earning some really cool carbon copy forms for pretend business. Um, so it worked really well. And um, so he taught me how to pitch. He taught me how to hit. He would go outside and he had this big board that he had put a strike zone on with duct tape um, and leaned it against the side of the garage and out in the driveway until after dark, my mom would finally call him in. You'd hear the sound of that baseball hitting that board. He would throw pitch after pitch after pitch, hitting every corner of that strike zone 
practicing, practicing. For what? For nothing. Because he could not play organized sports because culture said that it was awful. Makes me very angry. I'm not bitter. Um, I don't hate anyone, but I still get very angry in hindsight at the ridiculous stupidity of that group of people and how it impacted the lives of so many in, you would think, insignificant ways, but pretty big significant ways when you think about a young boy who has no social outlets, who is a natural athlete and has nowhere to get that energy out or to harness that skill. Not because the opportunity isn't down at literally at the end of our street. There was the community parks and rec um, baseball fields where he could have just walked down there and played Little League. But because some pastor decided that it was Babylon and we don't associate with the world and so you can't play organized sports until his grandkids were old enough to play organized sports. And then, boy, did they all get to play all the organized sports. But we. But that's none of my business. So you can just picture Kermit the Frog with his little Lipton tea here, that little meme. But that's none of my business. Okay, I might be a little bitter. Not because of me, but because of my brother. Taking up an offense for my brother. Anyway, so that's my brother, um, Alan. And he had a, he had an affinity for playing jokes on his sisters. So we would play... Um, WWF wrestling. So there again, he would recruit my sister and I to do play by play into a little tape recorder while he was doing wrestling moves, pile drivers. Um, you know, he'd have us pin him around the neck. Um, and then, you know, count, you know, to try to, I mean, just all he wanted the commentary was hysterical. And then on the way to church. So we went to church all the time. Almost every day we went to church and it was like a 30, 35 minute drive. And we just had a regular car. There was no minivans in our family. I don't even know if minivans were around, but, um, so three kids in the backseat of the car. And typically my mom sewed these little pretty dresses for Rachel and I, and uh, my brother loved to sit in the backseat, pick his nose and wipe it all over our dresses. Um, that was funny. He also, now this is crass, this is his favorite thing to do. We still laugh. Well, he still laughs about this. I still say you're disgusting. But he would get an ice cream bucket and with a lid. And he would, and this is crass. I apologize, but I must tell this story because it's funny now. It's not funny. It's not funny. It's funny, but he's 51 and I'm telling this story on him. He would take, <laughs> it's funny because I didn't know you could do this. And a lot of people don't know you can do this. I don't recommend you do this. But, oh gosh, I can't believe I'm saying this. This kind of stuff is stuff I don't talk about. But he would take an ice cream bucket with a lid and he would pass gas into it and quickly put the lid on. And then he would come and find me and or my sister and open it in our faces. And it, was, and it would work. It smelled so bad. And he thought it was hilarious. It's just awful that he did that. So he did that to us. Um, that, so he was, you know, rambunctious in that way. But I loved having a big brother. I just wanted him to like me so bad. And he would come in the house and I'd be like, hi, hi, how are you? What'd you do? And he would just look at me and be like, what, you writing a book? Like he did not indulge me at all. He was such a brat. Um, he was, he was pretty surly. He was pretty upset about a lot of things. He, he had it a lot harder than, than my sister and I. And, 
Um, no outlet, like I said. But when he was a teenager, a guy in church, he had a painting business. The pastor's grandson, Keith, had a painting business and he hired my brother and he would pick him up, take him to work, teach him how to paint, teach him how to stain wood, teach him how to work, um, teach him in, you know, interior, exterior, and, uh, and then bring him home and spend time with him and mentored him and gave, taught him a skill. To this day, my brother is still um, a painter, woodworker, like high-end, amazing, highly skilled worker, and um, learned it through this amazing uh, apprenticeship, I guess, accidentally. But um, that was a, a godsend. You know, my brother, you look at st- statistics of boys who don't have outlets for their energy and their creativity and their rambunctiousness, they end up getting in trouble. They end up getting into crime. They end up um, getting on drugs, alcohol. My brother did not. Um, he he was kept, essentially kept safe from all of that. He worked hard. He earned money. Um, and he didn't get into trouble. And it's a, what a godsend. And um, so in cold church, it was tough because as he got older, he started questioning things like the rest of us. And um, he didn't have a chance to really get out because he worked for the pastor's um, son-in-law. And then, of course, my family was deeply embedded. And then eventually he started dating the granddaughter of the pastor. So then he really, really got entrenched into it. And it's tough. Like, uh, it's tough because when we were in it, it's total brainwashing. They have an answer for everything. And then when you're close to the family who runs it, you start to see the other side and you have even more questions. But in his situation, and I can only speak from where I sit, I I can't tell his story. Um, Now you're dating somebody, you're quote unquote in love and, you know, you have, but you see the inner workings. He started to see the dark side of the people who ran our our church and that they were pieces of garbage people. Um, And they really are. And I I say that with all of the love in my heart. I'm a very loving person, but they're horrible, awful people. Um, And that's not, again, that's not sour grapes and bitterness. That's a fact. And um, I know my mom hates it that I say cold church and she doesn't like that I say that and she listens to my podcast and I I wish that uh, we had the same experience. We don't. But this is my podcast and this is my story and this is my perspective. Um, And it's also the truth. But anyway, so he he dated Jessica for a long time and that was tough because it's confusing. The whole thing is very confusing. It's still confusing. As a 44-year-old woman, it's still confusing trying to reconcile my first instinct to the world with the fact that, wait a minute, that was programmed by a bunch of terrible people who just wanted to control me. Um, but I got to start, I, I, I started to spend more time with my brother at that point because we had a, a band, we had a traveling Southern gospel music band that my brother played the guitar, I played the piano, and there were four girls from church, one of them being his girlfriend, um, and we traveled around. And so I got to spend time with my brother as an adult and as a person for the first time. And he got to, you know, see the inner workings kind of of my marriage and um, my terrible marriage to my manipulative, controlling first husband. And my brother began to be my advocate. He would calm my ex-husband down when things got crazy. He was the voice of reason. And in the end, on one of the scariest, most terrifying, most horrific experiences of my life my brother was there my brother was um a victim of the same event as I was and he made sure I was okay he saw the heartbreak and he he himself was mistreated 
And it was a horrible night I'll never forget. And he made sure I was okay. And he he rescued me emotionally. And he stood by my side when I didn't even know how to cope. Not by petting me and and being all schmoopy because he doesn't do that. But by being the logical voice of sound reason. What are you going to do next? Okay, you have to calm down. Okay. Just, he didn't ever indulge hysterics. And I didn't know how to handle life without being hysterical for a long time. And he kept me calm. And then I wanted to respond in a way that he would approve of. And so I learned to start to fight that hysteria and that panic and start to try to think clearly and make plans. And if it wasn't for him and his steadiness, I don't know how I would have coped with leaving my first husband with the manipulation, the control, the stalking, the, I mean, it was heinous what he put me through and put my brother through. And my brother was there for me. And it was, um, in a way that, I mean, I had so many people supporting me at that point, but the way that he supported me was the kind that I needed. He taught me, he showed me to be steady all the time. It was amazing. And he was abused and and manipulated and, and control, attempted to be manipulated and controlled by my ex too. He lived with us. My brother lived with us. He kept me safe. He kept things calm. And in the end, he was treated like garbage too in a horrible, horrible way. And so he's my hero, a thousand billion percent. And then when I got married again um, and I ended up having to leave, my brother showed up and helped me pack my car up. The rest of my family I had to step away from them. It was a very confusing thing. My brother was like, you know what? I don't care about any of that. What do you need? I just looked at him and I was like, I hope, I hope that you don't have to keep moving me out of my husband's houses. <laughs> and he smirked. But it's my hero. He saved me over and over again. And my goal in my life now is to never put myself in a position ever where anybody needs to save me. I want to now make my brother proud. I want him to look at me and, and, and know she's got this. I don't need to rescue her again. She's made all her stupid mistakes and she's good now. Um, I, I, I work very hard in subconscious part of my brain, but I am conscious of it sometimes too, that I want to make my brother proud. I want my, I want my brother to not have to worry about me or rescue me ever again. It's enough. Nobody should ever have to rescue their sister as much as he's had to rescue me. And not just me, my other, my sister as well in different ways. So he's my hero. He's amazing. He's really funny. Um, he's, he's, um, done so much work to work through his own pain, his own experience, his own life in cult church and in the way we were raised. And he's let it flow through he wants to be the best person that he can be he wants to honor my parents he wants to do the right thing and so many people would say f the right thing i was hurt this was unjust etc etc and and flip the bird and ditch and try to hurt back my brother has never done that my brother has always sought compassion doing the right thing showing up even when it has been nearly impossible for him to keep the emotion off of his his face and out of his body enough to do something. I mean, he shows up. He's incredibly powerful. And I just, I don't know. There's no one I, I, can, I can respect more um, than my brother. He's amazing. He's uh, 51. He's so old. I just have to keep saying that because it's funny. 
but um, I'm so grateful for him. People will say to me sometimes, oh, I didn't know you have a brother. Like, you've been crying about, like, how you miss your sister, but you don't talk about your brother. I'm like, well, my brother and I can go for a long period of time and not talk and then pick up the phone and it's like no time has passed. And my brother has just always been solidly right here in my heart. And often when people have asked me to describe him, I can't. I get so emotional. I get so emotional. I I don't even know where to start because I'm just, I'm so enamored with the kind of person he is. I love him so much and I'm so in awe of him. Um, He's amazing. And 20 minutes of my podcast about my brother, I guess, drives that point home. So if you know him, you probably agree with me because he's a stellar human being. Um, He did not marry the granddaughter from Cold Church, thank God. Oh my God, that would have been the worst. Um, I don't know what all happened there. That's not my story to tell. I just know that um, he was smart enough to save himself from that. He would have had to turn in his man card. And that's something my brother could never do. So, um, that was touch and go, man. I would have been related through marriage to the worst people in the world. It's bad enough that they were, like, around as much as they were when he was dating them. But, oh, thank God for unanswered prayers. So, that's my brother. Happy birthday, Alan. Um, he, we called each other names. Um, we weren't allowed to use, well, I didn't even know bad words when we were kids, but... We had to make them up. So there was lizard lips and fuzz pus and slew foot. And then the best one was furnace face. So we called each other furnace face. So today on the beach, I asked all the boot campers at our group photo to say happy birthday furnace face. And it delighted me very, very much. So happy birthday furnace face. I love you. The best big brother ever, 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 ever. So what's new with me these days? Well, I haven't been too vocal on here about it, but I have signed up to do another bodybuilding competition. I said I would never do it again, and then I did it again, and then I said, now I really will never do it again, and then doing it again. Uh, So there's something about the structure, the routine, the hard that goes into preparing for a bodybuilding competition that I really love. It's, it's the, it's the rigors. It's the schedule. It's the lock on the door, knowing there is a date on the calendar and that date is not going to forgive. And I got to show up prepared and it's a culmination moment of so many decisions made over and over and over again. And it's hard. And without, a date on the calendar, um, it's hard for me to get the same level of intensity in doing hard things like lifting really heavy and following a really structured lifting and cardio plan and clean diet. I mean, it's a, the prep life is hard, but, um, I love it. I can't, I can't lie. I love it. And last year when I did my first show, it brought me to my knees as far as my my body image, my relationship with food, my relationship with my body. It really threw me. Ugh. It was a tough, it was a tough thing to work through. It was so necessary. It was so needed. And it was it was a really insightful journey into myself. The second show, I prepped up really quick. I didn't get as lean. I felt really good. I feel like I looked better and um, 
coming off of that was a lot easier. I was, I still had the pendulum swing, but it wasn't as extreme. And then just not having a, a big goal to fight for just kind of left me a little listless. You know, you eat clean, you work out, but I really missed having something I was working for. So decided to hire a coach, a different type of, you know, complete package coach and tackle everything from a different angle. And that that was really uh, tough because when I knew what worked before worked, it was hard to set that down and trust a new approach, especially when that approach was eat more and lift heavier and lift differently. I had really gotten attached to the way that I was lifting my lifting routine. And, you know, I've been dieting for a long time, doing the prep diet and then another show and then trying to keep my weight stable after all of that. Um, it was hard to be told here, I want you to eat all this food and I want you to eat this many carbs. I, I love carbs, but I've learned how to control my carbs, have high carb days, low carb days, carb cycle. So it was really tough for me, but I embraced the new program for a little while and I started to work on my physique and eating more. And uh, I ended up not sticking with that coaching program because it was just, it was not fitting my lifestyle. But what I did get out of it was new lifts and a new way to approach changing my body. Um, in order to do well in a bikini competition, you have to have glutes. And I have no glutes. I have no butt. Um, I dieted mine even further down last year. So to eat more is important if you're going to build muscle. So to eat extra and then lift heavy with my butt three times a week on the butt, um, two to three times a week on the upper body to really focus on the areas that are judged. Um, really humbling because my butt not only do I not have one, but is super weak. So it's been tough. And I kept saying, oh, I can't wait till I get to cut. I can't wait to cut. Like I know how to diet. I love to diet. And bulking is hard. Bulking is a different kind of hard. So to let my body get bigger, to intentionally gain weight, to just let it happen and eat while I've enjoyed eating um, and eating more quantities, it's, it was really hard to watch my body go up, up, and up, up, the scale go up, up, and up. I don't like to watch the scale, but when you're on a program, you have to weigh yourself in order to report back and to track track everything on spreadsheets. So it's been a journey this winter of being okay with being bigger. And I weigh more now than I have in a very long time. And um, I, I got out of the 170s years ago. And I my happy zone was in the you know low 160s. And then after 75 hard in 2019, I liked to stay around 155, between 155 and 160. And then for my first show, I got down to 137, 139, 137. So to be back into the 170s again is like, what? <laughs> but it's been, it's been transformative. I have more muscle than I've ever had. And I weigh more than I have in a long time. And so my body at this weight looks so different than it did when I was the same weight the last time. And my clothes that fit me at 150 pounds are fitting me now. Because it's body composition change. It's more muscle in more strategically placed areas as far as when you're not eating fat, uh, junk food, and you're keeping a clean diet, and you're lifting intentionally, you don't gain body fat in the belly and in the hips and the areas that I was gaining it. Instead, I'm gaining muscle in the areas I'm working. And so 
I've fallen in love with my body for in a way that I I have never been this happy in my skin and I'm bigger and it's um, like a what um, but to really have connected with the idea that I'm building something and I want muscle now I don't want a ton of muscle I will lose some of this when I get completely ready for the stage and you know I'm 14 weeks out um, but you got to build kind of a little more than you need so that you know it's okay to lose a little bit when you're dieting down but um I wake up, I walk in the bathroom, I see myself in the mirror, and my first thought is, I freaking love my body. I'm lifting weights, I'm seeing my muscles moving, feeling strong, I'm picking up heavier and heavier weights, and I look in the mirror and I think, oh, I freaking love my body. And it's it's been a process. When I was the thinnest I've ever been, when I stood on stage last May at 137, I loved my body. But immediately after the show, I became at war with my body because I couldn't hold on to it. That was an artificial, artificially low weight. My body is not happy at that weight. My body, it's not healthy for me to be at that weight. And yet I was, I loved the taste of being that skinny. And in that time, I was, was body dysmorphia by a billion and I, I was very honest about it here. I talked about it here. I talked about it with people. I, I, I mean, I was very open about it. Um, I posted a lot on social media about it. I wanted to be very open and real and raw. And when I thought that I had really come to come to terms with it, another level of that had to be dealt with. And so it's been a journey. I hate the word journey, but it's been a journey. So here I am 14 weeks out. Um, and I am finding it really, really hard to get the motivation, um, every day to not to lift. I love lifting, but the diet the diet is really hard for me because I've gotten used to eating more and feeling fueled. And, you know, when you're dieting to cut a pound a week of body fat, you're in a pretty significant caloric deficit. Everything is controlled. It's a prep diet. It's not supposed to be easy. If it was easy, you'd do it all the time. And um, But the reason I'm having a hard time with it is because there's a part of me that's like, I love my body. I don't really, I mean, I want to do the show. I signed up for the show. But it's, I'm, I'm so happy with how I feel and what I look like. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, I'm not quitting. I'm doing the show. It's not like I'm giving in. I'm not going to do it. Um, if I decided not to do the show, not a whole lot would change. I'm not eating that much differently than what I normally would. Um, it's the idea. Um, but that's what I'm doing. So I'm 14 weeks out. I decided this week to take a week off of weighing myself because my mental noise around the weight um, has just gotten out of control. And I teach a lot of people, like, get rid of the scale because the mental noise is so destructive. And for me right now, I just need to be consistent because I'm losing weight slowly and controlled for this show. And I'm not going to see big movement on the scale. And when I'm making big moves in my day and I'm feeling tired and I'm feeling, you know, uh, hungry, I want to get on that scale and see a giant reward, and it's just not going to happen. It's going to be very slow and not linear. So this week, I'm taking a week off the scale. I'm focusing on my sleep. I have not been getting enough sleep, which means if I'm tired, I want to eat. When we're tired, our hormones um, can get out of whack, and the lizard brain wants to protect us by keeping us fed and safe and warm. And so if you're tired, it's like danger, danger, danger. The system is weak. How can we make it feel better? We better feed it, keep it warm. And so it's natural to want to eat when you're tired and I've been tired and therefore it's been really hard to stick to my goals. When I get sleep, I don't even think about food. 
But when I'm sleep deprived, I'm like, what time is it? When do I get to eat again? I just want to eat. And so this week, no scale. Um, today I took a day of grace. I didn't allow myself any junk food or anything like that, that I wouldn't normally eat, but I let myself eat until I got full. So I ate a lot of chicken. I ate a lot of shrimp. I ate a lot of eggs. I ate protein and, um, vegetables and I didn't weigh anything or measure anything and just thought, you know what, I'm going to fuel my body with things that are really good and clean, no junk. And I felt really good. And, um, it's something that I wouldn't, I mean, I don't say like, oh, this is something everyone should do, or I do it all the time. I've actually never really done a day like I did today, but it felt like uh, a healthy response to how I was feeling. And so now it's, um, the day is over. I feel fed. I'm tired. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to honor my sleep. I'm going to honor my body. And tomorrow, just do exactly what my plan says to do, which is to follow my diet and um, lift heavy and get my cardio in and do all my work. So that's all. (laughs) So another thing I implemented recently. So I have said so many times I have to fill my cup in order to have something to offer others. And yet when I get busy, the first thing that I cut out of my schedule is my reading time and my journaling time. So I made a rule for myself and I have been 100% faithful to it because it's a, it's easy, sort of like it's easy. It works with how I work and I immediately know the fruit of it. Um, so I must do my reading and journaling or I'm not allowed to lift. Now, because I have this goal of the stage, I have to lift. I mean, I can't just not lift. It has to happen. Sometime during my day, I've got to go down to the seventh floor and get in the gym and lift the weights. And I like to do it in the morning before boot camp. But if I have not gotten up early enough to do my reading and my journaling and my meditation, then I don't get to go and do that lift. So it's been a really great rule. So I make sure that I get up early enough so that first... I get my reading in, I get my journaling, I get my time with my soul, I fill my cup. Then I'm allowed to go lift. And so today I did not get up early enough to do it all. So I didn't get to lift. I had to say, am I going to listen to my word to myself that I feed my soul first or not? And I did. And uh, it's hard. Gus is um, running around right now chasing a plastic cup and a toy. And I am just not going to do anything about it because he's my baby. And he likes a good old solo cup. It's very loud. (laughs) Um, So I encourage you, if you don't spend time with yourself and it keeps sliding, this has been a great rule for me. I've I've stuck to it for uh, 10 days, two weeks, um, for a while. Okay, now, Gus, now that's getting annoying. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Julie Bauer Roth. She is PaleoMG is her Instagram and she's got a um, podcast, uh, Paleo MG Uncensored. And on her podcast, the first, I don't know, 50 episodes, she would yawn during the whole thing, like all the time, because she was like, I'm doing the podcast laying down, I don't care. And then she would take a swig of water and be like, I don't care that you hear that. And she swears all the time and she doesn't care. And her dog would be barking and she wouldn't care. And so <laughs> I try not to be that willy-nilly. But when Gus makes noise, I just think, well, Paleo MG has a billion followers and has a huge following on her podcast, and her dog is loud. So, anyway, um, so if you have a hard time prioritizing time with yourself, I encourage you to prioritize it. Think of something else that you really love, and don't let yourself have it unless you've done that. So, it's worked for me for a couple weeks. 
So, um, that's basically the, the only news around here, other than the fact that um, I'm launching my next uh, group program, which is going to be a little bit different. If you have a weight loss goal and you want to really be intentional about chasing your weight loss goal, um, I'm a mindset training coach, and so my programs really focus on mindset training. But this next program that starts this week actually going to be also focusing on actually losing weight. So if you have a weight loss goal, we're going to really be focusing on the tips and tricks, the hacks, sticking to your calorie limits, sticking to your macros, being serious about it, being consistent and saying, you know, this is something that I must do. So me, our meetings each week are a Google Meet virtual meeting, and we're going to run them kind of like an OG Weight Watchers meeting. So everybody's going to check in. How's it going? How's your weight loss? And then we're going to have a topic that has to do with weight loss um, strategies, diet, recipes, things like that. So it's going to be a very supportive chunk of time. It's eight weeks, but the weight loss portion is six weeks, getting you ready for summer to say, all right, I really want to drop a size before summer. So, and it's cost effective. It's about the price of Weight Watchers. It's $50 a month. Um, there's a setup fee to get you all set up to get you your nutrition plan to talk to you about if you want to do straight calories or if you want to do macros. So if you want to jump in on that, it's basically for April and May. It's going to be really fun. Some former members from the group programs are going to be in it. So you'll get to know some people who've already had a lot of success working with me. So if you're interested, um, you can find info on the website, kristensmithonline.com. Um, also follow me on Instagram, the Kristen experience, and there's all kinds of posts there as well, but I'd love to have you love to have you a part of this This is a really affordable program. $49 a month. That's 1250 a week. That's cheaper than a Weight Watchers meeting. Um, so, and you're going to get, you know, mindset training and, um, stuff that helps outside of the kitchen and outside of the calorie counting. So would love to have you. That's all I have for you. So we will see you right here in podcast land next week. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I'm so excited you're here. If you want to interact with me, go ahead and send me an email, Kristen at kristensmithonline.com. Follow me on Instagram, The Kristen Experience, and make sure you share this podcast with a friend. That's all I have for you today. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next time here on Destination Begin.